0: are a couple of other announcements that I should have mentioned earlier. Tomorrow, on uh, Christmas Day, there will be a Christmas Day potluck here at the church at 4.30. And then on New Year's Eve, which is next Sunday, uh, we're going to have a New Year's Eve celebration and potluck here at the church starting at 6. So keep those things in mind. Brother Kevin read Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1, Uh, now I'll direct your attention to another passage of scripture, this one, 1 John chapter 3, and this passage from um, the pen of the Apostle John gives us some insight into the reason for the birth of Jesus, the, the Incarnation. So 1 John chapter 3, I'll read from verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, that's the incarnation, the appearance of um, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, so here's another reason statement, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we're going to zero in on verse 8. In fact, the second half of verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. People talk about a lot of things at Christmas time, obviously, nativity scenes and Christmas trees, Christmas decorations, gift giving and receiving and the like. Most of us don't usually talk about the devil around Christmas time or on Christmas Day, but it turns out the devil is part of the context of the reason for the season. And John tells us why. Jesus came into this world. He was born in a manger, frankly, probably in August, but we celebrated in December. But Jesus was born in order to destroy the works of the devil, according to the inspired author, John the Apostle. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to discuss the reason for Christmas. And uh, these reasons are going to center on Jesus destroying the works of the devil. So, uh, the first reason, then, that I would bring before you this morning is truth destroys lies. All of these reasons are going to have the word destroys in them, because of John's wording, the Son of Man, the Son of God, appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So this first one is truth destroys lies. Jesus said that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. John eight forty four. In Revelation twelve nine, he's called the deceiver of the whole world. And the devil's lies are the backstory for all the pain and suffering in the world today. And for a reminder, I turn your attention to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we'll look at verses 1 through 5. So this account takes place at some point after um, the fall of Satan and his angels. Satan is a created being. He's an angel created by God. And like all of the angels, uh, Satan was created wholly by God. But he was created like Adam and Eve were, capable of falling, capable of sinning, capable of falling from their original created state. And um, the book of Revelation tells us that when Satan fell he took with him one third of the angels of heaven and he was cast down to the earth. And so at some point after that, and then after God had created Adam and Eve in his image, then um, Satan took the form of a serpent. And that's where we pick up the account of Moses here. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And and crafty there describes this lying nature of the devil, of Satan, but used to trick, used to deceive, used to pull the wool over people's eyes. And that's what he did here in the Garden of Eden. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And this is what the devil in his craftiness has done ever since. He questions the authority and trustworthiness of the word of God. And that's what he did to Eve. He he sowed the seed of doubt regarding the word of God and the woman Eve said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it now God didn't actually say that part lest you die God did say that that was the threat that was the penalty for disobedience But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So Satan begins undercover like a spy and he entraps Eve and then he unleashes just this blatant frontal attack on the trustworthiness of God's word. He completely contradicts the word of God. You will not surely die. Even though God had said, in the day that you shall eat of it, dying you shall surely die. Literally. Then he goes on with his deception. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And Satan is still busy in his craftiness, deceiving people into thinking that they can be little gods. But that's another story. So this is the backstory for all of the pain and suffering in the world today. And it's rooted in the lies of the devil. And then Paul gives us the theological uh, consequence of... Adam and Eve believing the lies of the devil and disobeying God. Sin came into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned, Romans 5 and verse 12. So you can sum up these lies, this craftiness of the devil in these words from Puritan writer Thomas Brooks, who wrote... Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. That is the backdrop into which the Lord Jesus Christ was born. So now look with me in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, we're told that the Word, which is described in verse 1, who is described in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with with God, and the Word was God. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And you think about the glory of the incarnate Son of God against that backdrop of the lies of the devil, which had, quote, the world. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And notice what Jesus does, verses 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So here's the devil and his lies about God and his word, and here's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word of God, breaking into that darkness of lies and revealing blazing, glorious truth about God. Revealing God himself to mankind. And then what did Jesus say about himself? John chapter 14 and verse 6. These well-known words, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So remember the lies of the devil. Jesus came not just to tell the truth, but to be the truth. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is truth Incarnate. There was no defense from Satan against this, this attack from the truth of Jesus. He came to reveal, to exegete the Father. He came to embody the truth itself. The incarnation destroys the lies of the devil because of who Jesus is. And then, Jesus, who is the truth, transforms believers by the truth. He said, for example, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Notice that there's no doubt in Jesus' words. Jesus doesn't say that If the lying devil is willing, then the truth will set you free. No. In spite of the best efforts of the devil, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free without a doubt, without fail. And think about it. The message that saves us is called the gospel of truth. There are so many lies in this world, in politics, in academia, in culture, and in religion. How comforting is it to know that we believe the gospel of truth? And the Christian life is described as walking in the truth. Believers are called to put away falsehood and to speak the truth with our neighbor, Ephesians 4.25. So, Christ's coming into this world is the truth destroying lies. And it's going to come to a grand finale. So, in Revelation 20 and verse 10, we're told, And the devil who had deceived them. Remember, he was a deceiver from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And he continues to deceive. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. One day, the lies of the devil will come to an end. The job that Jesus began with his incarnation will come to its consummation and the devil and his lies will be destroyed. So that's the first way in which Jesus destroys the works of the devil. The second way is that life destroys death. Life destroys death. We're used to thinking about that the other way around. We have a person who's alive, and then death comes and destroys what was previously alive. But with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the incarnation, life destroys death. So the devil is the father of lies, as we've already seen. Well, Jesus also said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. John eight forty four. 44. When he tempted Adam and Eve to sin, he was instrumental not only in bringing sin into the world, but death itself. Because the wages of sin is death. And the lifestyle that the devil now inspires his followers to live is the way of life of the walking dead. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes here, the Apostle Paul, and you, he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, so before you were a believer, before you were believers, Paul is writing, you were dead. But in this kind of death that the Apostle Paul is writing about, they were still walking around. They were still active. They're like spiritual zombies. the walking dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's the devil. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. People are often fascinated by stories of uh, people being healed from demonic possession by exorcism and such things. But what many people fail to understand is that just being apart from God and being uh, somebody who is dead in their trespasses and sins and lives in the way that Paul describes her, that person, which is all of us by nature, we're all sons of the devil. We're all of the devil because of our spiritual deadness. But then notice the effect on the spiritual deadness of Jesus coming into the world. So notice verses 4 and 5. But God, mankind supplies the bad news, but God supplies the good news. And here it is. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, there's the spiritual death again, but notice what happens when God's gracious saving power comes to bear. There we are dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You'll notice that this life that Jesus brings through the gospel, destroys death. God made us alive together with Christ. And we have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. And this life it is described by Jesus like this. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. And lots of people today twist that into a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel promise, which it's not. But it is a blessed promise. It is a blessing to be alive with Christ and not dead with the devil. And when we're alive with Christ and knowing Him and walking with Him, loving Him, being in Him, that truly is life abundantly. That is the abundant life. But we know that death is still a present reality. Death is the last enemy, even for believers. But there will come a day when death itself will be destroyed. So the Apostle Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then... Thinking about the very end, again, from Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Death, the work of the devil, is destroyed by life. The life that Christ is and the life that Christ gives. Then, here's another way in which Christ's appearing destroys the work of the devil. Light destroys darkness. Satan is the prince of darkness. He blinds people to the truth of God and entices them to commit sin, which is moral darkness. Satan is called the God, little g, of this world. But Jesus coming into this world is described in the New Testament as light coming into the darkness. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, which quotes from Isaiah chapter 9, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Because Jesus described himself like this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, the light of life. And you know how it is. No matter how dark a room or a night might be, you can't squash light. Light always overpowers darkness to some degree. But here you have the light of the Son of God who is the light of the world himself. And he comes into the darkness of this world. And he overcomes that darkness. He destroys the darkness of the devil. Our conversion is described in these terms. So in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, uh, the, the reason or the purpose for Paul's ministry was to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's what happened the moment that you were saved, if you were a believer. You turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Acts twenty-six, eighteen. And then the Christian life is described in these terms as well. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Light destroys darkness. Fourthly, Jesus, the coming, the appearing of Jesus destroys the work of the devil because forgiveness destroys condemnation. Forgiveness destroys condemnation. In Revelation 12.10, the devil is called the accuser. The accuser of the brethren. And he's such a punk, the the devil is. So he deceives us, he tempts us, he's the tempter. Then he accuses us for falling into his traps, for believing his lies, for following through, for succumbing to his temptations he accuses the brethren day and night in the book of job satan says to god does job fear god for no good re- or for no reason but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face which job didn't do and in the case of believers satan accuses us by saying things like You call yourself a Christian. Look at what a hopeless sinner you are. There's no way God is going to forgive you again. There's no grace left for you. There's no hope for you. Your sin is the unpardonable sin. And on and on. What did Jesus do to destroy these accusations of the devil in our behalf? Look in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, and notice verses 13 and 15. Colossians 2, starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, there's our uh, native, natural, spiritual death again. God made alive together with him. There's our resurrection with Christ. But now listen to this. Having forgiven us, all our trespasses. And how did God ac- accomplish that? Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And I hope you know that that is what you have if you are an unbeliever. There is a record of debt that stands against you with its legal demands. This record that includes every single time you've ever violated God's law. Think of the Ten Commandments. Every single time you've positively done what God says not to do, or you've left undone what God says you should do, and then as the rest of the Bible, and especially Jesus taught, that extends not just to what everyone else can see so that you're okay as long as you don't murder. No, Jesus says, if, you, if you're if you angry with your brother without a cause, or you you call someone an idiot or dummy, you're guilty of murder in your heart. Jesus also said that if you if you if you to, to men, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so many of the sins that are co- that are um, condemned by the law of God, their their heart sins by nature: covetousness, envy, and jealousy, and more. If you think about it, this this list. Of our sins is a mountain of debt in reality. Again, that's the bad news. The the good news is what God did. It says in the end of verse 14 this record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this God set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus paid our debt. Jesus took this incredible mountain of debt, of guilt, and just set it aside. Away with it. Into the sea with you. It's gone. It's done. It is finished. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And then notice verse 15. Now, Paul draws the devil into his argument. By doing what he did, by dying on the cross for our sins, God, through Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities. And in the context, that is the devil and his angels. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is, Jesus who died on the cross. So here we are, deserving condemnation. There's the devil accusing us because of our just condemnation. But then here's Jesus saving us from condemnation and disarming and disarming the devil and then putting the devil to open shame our accuser the the very cross which the devil tempted Judas to have a hand in getting Jesus to the the very cross which was the devil's Agenda. He wanted Jesus dead. He wanted Jesus dead for the moment he was born. That cross was the instrument that actually slew the devil. It's an amazing story. And what's the result of forgiveness destroying condemnation? There is therefore now no condemnation to those. Who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. And then finally, freedom destroys slavery. Freedom destroys slavery. The Emancipation Proclamation issued by President Abraham Lincoln in 1863 legally, theoretically, ended slavery in America. But it didn't have the power to completely eradicate all slavery. Jesus said that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin John 8:34 But Jesus also promised if the son sets you free you will be free indeed John 8:36 And then listen to this discussion from the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 I'm just going to read a few verses here Romans chapter 6 is an outstanding Christmas chapter to read in the Bible. Romans 6 and verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So here's another aspect to the death of Christ. Yes, he died to redeem us from the curse of the law. Yes, he died so that we would no longer be under the condemning power of God's law, but he also died on the cross to save us from slavery to sin in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Then Paul continues on that discussion in the following verses until he comes to verse 16 Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks be to God that you were that you who were once slaves of sin and we were having become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, in other words, you believed the gospel, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Christ has set us free. This aspect of the reason for Christmas is expressed in God rest ye merry gentlemen, Hymn 2.11. which says, God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. That's what that hymn is saying. Jesus was born in order that freedom would destroy slavery. So, wrapping this up, this is why Christmas time is a season of hope. The devil is still alive, he still exists, he's still doing his thing. He's still the God of this world, blinding the eyes of unbelievers. He's still like a a roaring lion roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. He's still the sworn enemy of Christ, and our mortal enemy. But the devil is a defeated foe. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent by his death on the cross, in which Jesus defeated death itself. And the thing is, the devil knows that, and he knows that his time is short. So here's another hymn. It's not usually thought of as a Christmas hymn, but A Mighty Fortress is Our God by the great German reformer Martin Luther. And one of the stanzas says, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's the devil's ultimate end. And that road to ultimate victory passed through Bethlehem. All of these blessings that we've been talking about. Truth destroys lies. Life destroys death. Light destroys darkness. Forgiveness destroys condemnation. Freedom destroys slavery. They're all the result of that little, supposedly, apparently, helpless babe in a manger born of a virgin, Jesus of Nazareth. And if you're not a believer, what a great Christmas gift to yourself and everyone who knows and loves you. If you would give up your self-rule, your own ideas, your own ways, give up your idols and your commitment to sin. Lay it all aside. Turn from the whole thing. And turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and call on his name and be saved. Let's pray.